Wow, I love it. I love that we get to gather like this. I love that tonight we are going to come to an end in our series on the life of Joseph. We've spent seven weeks now, eight weeks including tonight, looking at his life. And now tonight we're going to come to the conclusion. And I want you to remain standing as I read for you, not about Joseph. Actually, not about Joseph's dad or Joseph's grandfather, but about Joseph's great-grandfather, the man Abraham. Listen to this promise from Genesis chapter 12 that God gives to Abraham. We're going to see how it connects tonight. Here it is. Chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 2. God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So so that you will be a blessing. God says, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. Now with that, let's go ahead and stop. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, Tonight, we're going to end this great story of of this this man of faith, this this man Joseph. We're going to come to a conclusion, but I want to start by by setting up up for you how how much of a joy it is to... uh, to introduce something to someone's life that is a blessing for you and that ultimately becomes a blessing for them. Now, I've talked about this a few times, and it's, it's not baseball and it's not softball, although that's coming because it's February and March is right around the corner and, and baseball illustrations will commence then. But, but for tonight, now I want to tell you about a, a sport that I got to introduce a bunch of people to that is actually, I just found out, uh, it is being put through the legislator to become the official sport of Washington State. You know what this is? Pickleball, right? So I grew up playing pickleball. I love it. It's a great sport. It was actually created in Washington. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I don't know, about 18 months ago, I invited a bunch of guys who had never even played. Many of them have never even heard of it. I said, hey guys, we got to get out of the house. I got to get moving. I want you to come join me on the pickleball court. And so we started playing at 6 a.m. on Fridays. These guys, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. But uh, they showed up and I started teaching them how to play this sport, pickleball. Now, if you've never heard of it, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a smaller version of tennis, or, or or some like to say a bigger version of ping pong. Instead of using a racket, you use a a paddle, a fiberglass paddle. Alex Wynn in the back, he likes to use a wooden one. He's got problems. We'll talk about that later, though. And uh, and you use instead of a tennis ball, you use a, like a wiffle ball. And you play on this court, and it's a paddle sport. Doubles is really fun. Singles is really fun. Anyway, I started introducing people to it. And uh, lo and behold, it caught on. And a lot of guys really started to love it. And a lot of gals actually started to love it as well. And so much so that I did not play at all, really at all this past summer, because I had COVID in August, and so I was down. I, I didn't recover for a while. I didn't play at all in, the, in the, the fall. I played in Arizona in the winter on vacation. That was it, like one game, and then I was winded. But, but there are guys that are still playing behind my back. I, I found out they're gathering, they're playing, they're practicing. I think they're going to try to beat me. It's not going to happen, by the way. But that said, they're playing behind my back. And, and I've got to tell you, they, they have become blessed by this thing that was a blessing to me. They are learning to love this sport that I have loved. And I, I tell you, even though they're playing behind my back, the fact that they love it, the fact that they're playing it, it brings me so, it brings me a lot of happiness. It's, it's like something that was a blessing to me, I was able to pass on, and it is now a blessing to them. And so now I stand back, and I watch them feebly try to get better, and, uh, 
but it's really a blessing. And I want you to think about that. Most of the blessings that we receive in life, they're not meant to be held onto. They're not meant to be hoarded by us. They're not meant to be clung to and not shared with anyone else. Most of the blessings that we experience in this life, they're actually meant to be passed on. In fact, what we're going to see today as we bring this great story of Joseph to a close, we're going to see that the best blessings are the ones you pass on. The best blessings, they're the ones you pass on. Now, we're going to get to the end of Genesis. We're going to get to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to get to the great statement Joseph makes at the end of the book of Genesis. But, but I want us to see the theme of these last few chapters. Well, I want you to see the theme of, of chapters 48 through, through 50, which is really a theme about blessing. Blessing. Now, before we dive in, I feel like I have to one last time, I needed to do the major recap, right? Someone told me last week, I was so, th- so thrilled, they said, I love it when you recap the whole story, so I was like, glad you like that, because I know it takes a little bit of time, but, but, but let's recap the story. Some of you, you've been here every week, you, you know every dynamic of this story, some of you guys have missed a few weeks, some of you, maybe this is your first time hearing that we're in this series, and so let me start all the way back at Genesis 37, let's remember the life of Joseph and how it's led up to this point where we're going to see that the best blessings are the ones you pass on, okay? So Joseph's life begins and, and when he is 17 years old, the family dynamic is Joseph is the favorite among his brothers. In fact, he has 11 brothers. His father has 12 sons from four different women. And of those sons, Joseph is the favorite. And he's not just the favorite in subtle ways. He's not just the favorite in little ways. Joseph is the obvious favorite. So much so that his brothers, do you remember what the text says? They hate him. They hate him. And so when he's 17 years old, he's going to go check on his brother in Dothan, miles away from home. And when his brothers see him coming, long story short, instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery. He ends up being a slave in the land of Egypt, serving under a man named Potiphar. Things don't go well in Potiphar's house. Long story short, he ends up in prison. He ends up in prison. And because God had providentially arranged for him to be in prison when some of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, when some of his servants were in prison as well, Joseph ends up standing before the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, as the only one who is able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Now, Joseph makes it really clear. He's not able to interpret dreams. But it's God who gives the interpretation. And so God allows Joseph to interpret what are actually nightmares for Pharaoh. Joseph ends up saying, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be seven great years of harvest and then seven severe years of famine. And here's what you should do about it. And then Pharaoh turns around and says, no, you should do it. And Joseph is, he is raised and elevated to become the one who is in control over all of Egypt. Pharaoh is king, but Joseph runs the thing. That, that's, that, that's really the, the, most of the story. Then, over the last few weeks, we've seen Jacob, Joseph's father, send his brothers to buy grain in Egypt. 
The first time they come and Joseph sees them, he knows who they are. They don't know who he is. He treats them harshly. He begins to test them. He arrests one of his brothers, puts him in prison, sends the others home so that they can bring the youngest brother, who is the new favorite, Benjamin. They can bring him back. So that's where we were last week. Last week, Joseph's brothers bring Benjamin. Ultimately, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers as his brothers seem to have changed. And it's all quite emotional. Joseph ends up sending them back to bring father. Father comes and God has made promises to Jacob. And that's really what we saw last week. Last week was about acting on the promises of God. And so now the story could be over, but it's not. We still have three chapters left. And in these three chapters, we're going to see the death of Jacob. We're going to see the death of Joseph. But in all of this, we're going to see great blessing. And we're going to see that the best blessing, they're the ones that we pass along. So why don't you pick up with me? Pick up with me in Genesis chapter 48. We're going to start by seeing how really Jacob... Jacob remembers the blessings of God, the promises of God. And so if we're going to learn about how to pass blessings on to others, it starts with us remembering, remember the blessings you've received. Remember the blessings you received. Verses 1 through 4. It says, After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. Time out. Joseph's still running the kingdom. Jacob's probably in the land of Goshen. They, they probably don't see each other every day. But Joseph is told, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he, it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, Jacob and Israel, same person, two different names, summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And blessed me. God blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Now, let's, here's where the story starts Jacob's about to die. Hey, Jacob's about to die, and Joseph comes to visit him. And, and notice, Jacob, he's not complaining. He's not griping. He, he actually, he begins this conversation by counting his blessings. Reminds me of a couple weeks ago, I was at the teenager service. This is a service we have midweek, Wednesdays at noon, and it's mostly retired folks. And, and one of the hymns they sang, they sang, count your blessings one by one. I'll tell you what. As a relatively younger guy sitting there and listening to these folks sing with genuine heart about their blessings, no offense meant, when they groan when they stand and when they groan when they sit, who are dealing with so many health issues and so many difficulties, and yet they count their blessings. That, that's what Jacob's doing here. He's counting his blessings. He's remembering God's promises. Let's just, let's just take that moment right now. We all come in here with all sorts of troubles and problems and tensions and difficulties. We could go around and we can list out our complaints and our frustrations and all the things that make us mad. Just set all those aside for a moment. Remember the blessings you've received. 
Remember the, the myriad of ways that God has been faithful. Remember that he has been faithful in ways that you are blind to, that you don't even realize. This is where our story begins. If we're going to talk about the best blessings or the ones we pass on, this means we have to start by remembering the blessings we've received. Let's keep going in the story. In the story, as it continues, I say we get a vision that maybe we've forgotten as a culture. But the next point we see here is that we see that we should hope for the blessing of blessing grandchildren. This might seem a little disconnected. But, but I want you to see that, that there is this incredible moment when Jacob, in this moment, he is going to bless his grandchildren. Let, let me show you what I mean. Verse 5 of, of chapter 48, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 15. It says, And now your two sons, Jacob is speaking here, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. Now, what happens next is Jacob, literally, he adopts these two children. He adopts them to become counted among his sons. Now, you might be thinking this sounds weird. Grandfather's about to die, and he's adopting my sons. How's Joseph going to respond? But this is what is actually happening. Jacob is increasing Joseph's inheritance, and he's increasing Joseph's blessing. He, he is passing his blessing on to Joseph in an even greater manner. Verse 15, it says, And he blessed Joseph and said to him, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What a blessing. He blesses these boys by, first of all, recognizing who God is. The God who has been his shepherd. This is who God is. God, God is a shepherd watching over his people, watching over his flock. It says, he, he's been an angel or a sent one. He, he's cared for me. He's redeemed me from all evil. This is that word redeem. He's bought me. He's cared for me. He's rescued me. This is what God has done for this man who was born a scoundrel, Jacob, who later became Israel. He says, let this God bless your children. We have an interesting scene after this where, where Jacob actually blesses the sons in the wrong birth order. Joseph, he tries to switch things up. You can read it on your own. Joseph tries to switch things up. No, Dad, you got to bless the oldest, but, but Judah blesses who he wants to. He, he blesses Ephraim first, not Manasseh. And then you get to verse 20. He says, So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And there's lots we could flesh out here, but, but right here is where I want to pause. Is I want you just to catch a vision for what it's like to be able to bless your grandchildren. And some in this room have children and grandchildren. Some in this room don't. Some in this room aren't of age for that yet. 
Some of this room, you, you've got a host of grandchildren that aren't related to you, but you just minister to them like they're your own. But, but here's what I want us to see right now. Biblically speaking, there is a great blessing to be able to bless the next generation and to be able to bless the generation beyond that. This is maybe something for the younger folks in this room to hear. Those folks who are yet married, they're trying to figure out life. Those folks who are trying to say, well, what kind of career do I want? And what kind of wealth do I want? Listen, all that stuff will pass in time. But the blessing of the next generation, that is, that is a remarkable blessing. Something to be longed for here. But let's continue. We see that the best blessings are the ones we pass along, ultimately to, to next generations. But, but then, then Jacob He's going to pass out even more blessings. He's actually going to bless all of his other sons. But what I want us to see here is, is I want us to see that we have to be careful of blessings gained and lost. Skim down to verse 28 of chapter 49. All of chapter 49. It's, it's all of these sons being blessed one after another. Some blessings are better than others. But, but skip down to verse 28. Here's what we see in summary. It says, All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Suitable. See, see, Israel or Jacob, he blesses each of his sons. He speaks over them what he decides is suitable. Just like he chose to bless Ephraim over Manasseh, the, younger over the, old, the youngest over the oldest, what we're going to see now is he goes and he blesses each of his sons. And we're not going to look at every single one of them, but we're going to look at a few of them. But what I want us to see here it, it is the caution. The caution that we learn from some of these sons. What I also want us to see here is the glory and, and the promise we see in others. Now, the first thing we see is that there have been, this is kind of heartbreaking, there have been some great blessings lost. Go back to verse 1, chapter 49. Jacob begins by blessing his oldest sons. And as you read this, this doesn't sound much like a blessing. Well, let's listen in on what he says about Reuben, his oldest, and about Simeon and Levi. Look at what he says about these sons, starting in verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I might tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. First one up, Reuben. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. You are the first in line when it comes to dignity and the first in line when it comes to power. By human standards, Reuben would stand tall. He would have respect, he would have honor, but continue with me. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. He moves on to the next one. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. 
O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. This doesn't sound like a blessing. What is he talking about? With Reuben, he's talking about how Reuben came and, and, and had intercourse with one of his other wives. Actually, the, the servant of one of his wives. The, the mother of his other brothers. Reuben, he had this, this part of his life where he was controlled by lust. And then Simeon and Levi, these men, they were, they were controlled not by lust, but they were controlled by anger and violence. Their plot against the men of Shechem when they went out and they, they murdered men who were defenseless. They were controlled by their anger and their violence. And these two men combined with their oldest brother, Reuben. Listen, these are, these are tragic stories of losing blessing. Anger and lust are propensities toward all of us, but there's a handful of young men in the room that I want to speak directly to because how many lives of young men are ruined specifically by these two vices? It's like as guys, we, we wear a badge of honor. We say, I've got a short temper. That's not a badge of honor. That, that's not how you gain blessing. That's how you lose it. In, in our culture, especially guys, but, but really everyone, they pursue their own sexual desires. And as they do that, what do they do in our culture? They, they wear that as a badge of honor. Look at how great I am at whatever kind of sexual uh, pursuit I, I have. Listen, in God's economy, that is not a badge of honor. That is not how you gain blessing. That's how you lose Blessing. There's a great warning for all of us here. And these three older brothers, in their wrong pursuits, they're being controlled by lust or by violence. And in that, losing what could have been theirs, their birthright, their father's blessing instead. They hear these harsh words from their father on his deathbed. Beware. Beware of losing blessing by living outside of God's will, by living outside of God's word. We, we see this blessing lost, but then, then we see blessing gained. We, we see blessing gained, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about all the brothers. I'm going to focus in on two. I'm going to look at, at Joseph, who we've spent a lot of weeks talking about, and I'm also going to look at Judah. Look, look at this first blessing gain. This is what I will call the prophetic blessing. In this moment, Jacob, he, he doesn't just bless Judah. God actually is prophetically speaking through him something that is the greatest news ever for you and I. These words that are about to be spoken to Judah, they're, they're the greatest words that you can hear because of what they mean for us. What they mean for us and the blessing we can receive. Let me show you what I mean. Verses 8 through 12. Judah. Now, talking about Ju Judah. He had sexual sin as well. He, he, he was not perfect. I want you to see God's sovereign hand over Judah's life, even in his brokenness. It says, Judah, 
Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? Verse 10. The scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and the donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now this is, there's a lot here. And, and we don't have the time to, to, to unravel all the nuance, but here's what I want to focus on. You notice that word scepter? Who carries a scepter? A king. He, he, this prophetic word over Judah says that the scepter shall not depart from his, his, his hand and the ruler's staff shall not depart from him. It says that he will conquer his enemies and, and others in the world, the peoples, will give tribute to him. This is talking about kingship in the line of Judah. And it talks about Judah as being a lion. Lion of Judah. You heard those words before? I know we're in Genesis, but I want you to go with me all the way to the end of the Bible. I want you to go with me all the way to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, there is an incredible scene, chapter 5, where, where John has a vision of heaven. And in his vision, these elders and, and, and this great host are surrounding the throne. And there is a scroll that is brought out, a scroll that is meant to be used for the judgment of all peoples, for the, for the culmination of all of history. And... There is great sadness because there's no one found who is worthy to open the scroll. It's like John looks around and says, no one can open it. The angels can't. The elders can't. This scroll must be opened for God to be honored, and there's no one to open it. Revelation 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Lion of Judah, the root of Jesse, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The next few verses don't describe him as the Lion of Judah. The next few verses describe him as the Lamb that was slain. Pick up with me in verse 9. It says, and they, the hosts of heaven, they sang a new song saying, listen to this. This is describing the Lion of Judah. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 11, the throne room gets loud. Verse 12 continues, they say in with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Time out. Let me read that again. This is talking about King Jesus, the lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain. Listen to how worthy he is. 
This is why we worship. This is why we're in this room together right now. This is why we lift our voices, because of the worthiness of Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. What is he worthy to receive? To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The scepter shall not depart from your hand until all the peoples pay tribute. In this moment, we see a vision of everyone and everything with everything in them doing what? Paying tribute and giving honor. This is the prophetic blessing this is the blessing that the Messiah, that the King, that the Christ would come from the line of Judah. This is, this is what, this whole story of Joseph, Joseph's actually a secondary character to Judah because the seed, the promise is carried through the line of Judah until Jesus is born. And then Jesus did what you and I can't do. You know the story. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Anybody else do that in here? And then he took all of your sin and all of my sin and, and he took all of our shame and all of our guilt and he took the wrath of God and he was willingly crucified so that he could pay the price in full for all of our guilt and sin, shame and sin. He was buried and then resurrected and now, listen, he lives forevermore as King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lion of Judah is the Lamb who was slain. And he is the one who offers you the free gift of salvation tonight. If you believe that, this is the prophetic blessing to Judah. What a great blessing. He's the one who carries the seed. Now listen, could have been Reuben. Could have been Simeon. Could have been Levi. They missed it. Beware of, beware of the blessing lost, but rejoice in the blessing gained, not just by Judah, but by you and I tonight when we trust in Christ. And the next blessing we'll look at is the providential blessing. This is the blessing upon Joseph. This is the blessing upon Joseph. Verses 22 through 26. It says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough, by a spring, his branches run over the wall. Remember that word fruitful? That's Ephraim's name. Twice fruitful. Twice fruitful. That's what we see here. It says, The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Joseph was a victim. Verse 24. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings from heaven above. 
Joseph was a victor. Blessing of the deep that crouches beneath, blessing of the breasts and of the womb, the blessing of your father are mighty beyond blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. This is the life of Joseph in just a nutshell, isn't it? Joseph was a victor, victim. He was sold into slavery, thrown into a prison. Joseph was a victor. He was elevated to, to really be the second in command of all of Egypt. But this has been the theme of the entire series. Joseph, not, not a victim, not a victor, but a vessel. And Joseph's life, whether it was good or bad, Joseph's life, it stood as one who was used by God. What does this remind us of? This reminds us for you and I today. So, so even when you are a victim, even when life's not fair, even when others have done you wrong and evil and harm, even when other people are being petty or whatever is going on in your life, even when you are a victim, listen, you can still be a vessel. God can still use you even in the greatest difficulties you face. But the flip side of that is also true. When you are a victor, you can be a vessel. When you experience the blessing of overcoming a challenge, when things in life actually work out well, sometimes they work out in difficulty, sometimes they work out in good moments. Listen, when life is good, you can be a vessel, and when life is bad, you can be a vessel. That, that's, that's what we see here. And so that's what we see as is, is this these blessings, and, and we learn to, to, to beware of blessings lost and rejoice in these blessings gained. But let's keep going. I, I just want to touch on this next portion sh- briefly. But, but the next thing we see is that there is an embrace of the blessing of promises fulfilled. Jacob, remember, he, he's getting ready to die. Verse 29 of chapter 49 says, then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Time out. We we can read the rest of that, but we'll stop right here. Here's what he says. He says, take me back to Canaan. Take me back. Like like he's already had Joseph promise. We saw this last week. He, He brought Joseph to him, and he made a covenant with Joseph that Joseph would take him and bury him in the land of Canaan. So he's making this request again. And then if you go to chapter 50, verse 12, there's a whole bunch between this, but basically this is a summary. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. 29, he commands them. Verse 12, they keep their promise. Again, there's a sense of a blessing here. Jacob's dead, yet his desires are fulfilled. And so you you see all these blessings. Jacob, he is done passing on his blessings now. He's counted his blessings. He's brought his grandkids in and he's blessed them. He's brought his sons in and he's kind of blessed them, some of them more than others. He's, he's had them promise that they would take him to the land of Canaan. They have done this. They made the journey to Canaan. They've returned back to Egypt. Is the story over? Not quite. This is really where we wanted to get to. Let's talk about another blessing. 
Let's talk about giving the blessing of forgiveness. When we say that the best blessing is the one that we pass on, what we find in this next portion is, is really fascinating. We're going to see Joseph in this moment. Dad is now gone. He is out of the picture. And listen, from human standpoint, Joseph can now do whatever he wants to get revenge on his brothers. It's like when you're kids and, and you know, you're, you're kind of fighting or something and, and you're about to, like, you know, pick on your youngest brother. I was the oldest of four. I, I know how this works, right? But mom and dad walk in the room and so you act like everything's fine and you look at your sibling like, once they're out of the room, you are a goner. That's this moment. Follow along with me. Chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Oh no, wait, that's my paraphrase. (laughs) They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and will pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph. This is almost comical, church. They sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Oh yeah, one more thing that dad said before he died. In case you didn't know this, Joseph, this this is from dad. You guys buying it? Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. How does Joseph respond? No way, you guys are busted. (laughs) Yeah, right, now is my turn. No, look at what the next words say. Joseph wept. He he wept. And he went and spoke to and they and they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell before him, and he said, Behold, or they said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Decades before this, they threw him in a pit with the intent to kill him. Then they saw that they could make a buck and they sold them into slavery. They they have every right to be afraid. They have every right to work the angles. They they have every motive to make this fake message from their dear old dead dad and say, hey, dad wanted you to forgive us. They didn't even have to do any of that. Look at what Joseph says. Look at his tears. Joseph is not a man bent on revenge. Joseph is not looking for how he can get even. Joseph gives the blessing of forgiveness. Now, we can do a whole series on forgiveness. We can spend hours and hours, all the different dynamics of forgiveness. But let me, let me, let me just draw your attention to a few, a few parts of what forgiveness actually looks like according to this text. First of all, forgiveness means you do not hold a grudge. 
Well, actually, that's secondly. <laughs> I got ahead of myself. First of all, it means you do not act like God. Look at Joseph's first words here. Joseph's first words, he says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? This is remarkable. Joseph, he looks at those who have hurt him, those who he could easily take out, or at least, you know what he could do? He could remove all of the provision, and he can remove all of the grain, and he can send them back to Canaan and say, oh, you guys go figure it out on your own. Look, he says, I'm not in God's place. He says, my job is not to get even. This is the New Testament teaching on revenge, isn't it? Vengeance, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. God teaches us not to seek vengeance, not to seek revenge, instead to trust those situations into his hand. This is what Joseph does. I'm not God. It is not your job to act like God in the lives of those who have hurt you. It is not your job to be the arbiter of justice and revenge on those who have injured you or wounded you. Why would you want to be anyway? I'm telling you what, none of us in this room has a resume that qualifies us to be God. None of us could handle that responsibility. Joseph lets go of that responsibility. He says, that, that's, God's, that's God's job, not mine. So first of all, don't act like God. Secondly, secondly, don't hold a grudge. Verse 20 it says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph's not bitter. Joseph's not resentful. Joseph doesn't hold a grudge. Why? Because Joseph knows the sovereign God of the universe. <laughs> He doesn't have to hold on to all of the grudgeful emotions and feelings. He is free. He can let those go, and he can give the blessing of forgiveness because he sees God's hand working even in the evil that he experienced. Some of us today, we're holding on to grudges, aren't we? Some of us today, if I, if I said, who here has been wounded deeply by another person who should never have hurt you, I bet most of us would have hands that go up, and we could be here for weeks telling stories about the injuries we've received, the, the wrong that people have done, the grudge that we can cling to. Listen, forgiveness releases that. Forgiveness releases that. Don't, don't hold a grudge. Jesus teaches us to, to pray for our enemies. Maybe you're sitting there you're thinking, Mike, you don't know how hard people, how hard it's been, how evil people have been to me. Here's all I would say. You don't got to act like today. We snap our fingers, abracadabra, your heart is healed, everything's happy. I, I, I'm not going to expect that of you, but here's what I'll say. Start right now. Instead of trying to hold that grudge, hold that person up in prayer. Pray for God's goodness on their life. Pray for God to transform their heart. Pray for God to show them the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they'll get to a spot where they will repent. That's what Joseph's brothers have been fumbling toward this whole time. It's sloppy. It's not pretty. They don't repent in a professional way whatsoever, but they are stumbling their way toward trying to make things right. Even if it is, Dad wants you to forgive us. That's what they're doing. Don't hold the grudge. Do not fear. And then if you are the one forgiven, do not fear the future. Look at Joseph's words to them. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. 
Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He comforted them. They were afraid. And they probably were even a little bit afraid even when he said, I'm going to care for you. But his words, do not be afraid. He's saying, walk in the freedom of forgiveness. True forgiveness when someone has honestly repented and confessed of their sin and someone else has sincerely forgiven them. That is meant to be total freedom where you don't walk on eggshells and you're not afraid. That's just a glimpse of forgiveness. The Bible speaks much, in much more detail in other places. But for tonight, give the blessing of forgiveness. And here's where our story ends. Let's bring the book of Genesis to a close with this last point. Aim for the blessing of finishing well. Not only does Jacob die, but Joseph dies at the end of this story. Verse 22 through 26. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So ends our story. So ends the life of Joseph. But, but here's what I want us to see. Joseph finished well. N- not as a victim. Not as a victor. Say it with me. But as a vessel. Jo- Joseph finished well. This reminds me of Paul's words about his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And the Apostle Paul, as he came to the end of his life, listen to his words. He says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, the Lion of Judah, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. This is the ultimate blessing. To get to the end of your life and say these words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have done what I have been called to do. I have received the blessing of the Lord and I have passed it on. This is the ultimate blessing. And now listen, one of the, one of the sacred privileges I have as a pastor is I do a lot of funerals. I, I do funerals for strangers, for church members, and for my own family. I've done funerals for those who are clearly saved and those who we're not sure of and those who were far from God. I want to tell you something right now, though. There is nothing like the funeral of a believer who finishes well. I'm going to tell you what. There is nothing like the funeral of a believer who can say the words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Those, those funerals, they are much more like a worship service than they are a funeral. 
There are tears, and they are tears of absolute joy and victory. Those are funerals where I feel like it's the easiest job in the world I have. I just, I just usually stand up here and say Jesus, and everyone says amen, right? Because it's all about Christ. But let me end with this. What is your funeral going to look like? When your day comes, maybe I'll have a great privilege of standing and, and speaking of you, but, but on that day, will this room be full of people that rejoice because you have fought the good fight and have finished the race? Are you going to have the life just like we looked at all the way back at Genesis 12, where God says, I will bless you so that you will bless others. That's really the life that we're called to. That's what finishing well really looks like. When you receive all of the great blessings of God, and they are many and they are rich, and you learn to be a vessel to distribute those blessings to everyone else that you can. What will your, your funeral look like? Father, we are humbled by this great story over the last few months. We are in awe, not, not of Joseph. We are in awe of you, we are in awe of your providence in saving Egypt and Israel and many people. We are in awe of your prophetic words spoken over Judah. We are overwhelmingly in awe of Jesus, the Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain to pay the price for our sin and who, who now is alive and who reigns victoriously forevermore. We are in awe. And God, we're amazed that we get to share in this great blessing. The blessing of Jesus and his forgiveness of new life and of hope. And, and as we recognize, as we count our blessings in Christ, Father, I pray that you would, you would solidify in our minds tonight a vision of, of passing on those blessings for the rest of the days that you give us so that we can have the kind of funeral where others speak of us. They fought the good fight. They finished the race. And we thank you, Father, and we love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' great name. Amen.